0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, one of the show's hosts, and I'm very pleased to be bringing you this episode this week. We have a very unique episode, and it is a privilege to be presenting three filmmakers for you this week. And they're all responsible for contributing parts to a film that premieres at the Tribeca Film Festival or premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival this weekend. The film is called Awake, A Dream from Standing Rock. And the movie captures what was happening on the ground with the Standing Rock movement as it developed, uh, particularly from the months of... September 2016 and through to uh, January 2017. And you get to see three voices present what they were able to capture, and who they were able to meet, and what they were able to learn from the transformative movement that was happening with indigenous people at the forefront. The three filmmakers, who you may know, are Josh Fox, who's known for his work on *Gasland* parts one and two, as well as *How to Let Go of the World* and *Love All the Things Climate Can't Change*. James Spione is also uh, the director of part two in the in this film, and he was nominated for an Oscar for his short film *Incident in New Baghdad*. He also directed Silenced, a movie about whistleblowers Thomas Drake, Jocelyn Raddick, and John Kiriakou, which was nominated for an Emmy. And thirdly, Myron Dewey, founder and owner of Digital Smoke Signals, uh, is an indigenous voice who's very well known for his work documenting and, and covering what was going on with the Standing Rock movement. He gave uh, regular live streams showing what was happening. And also, he is recognized for his drone footage that captured uh, the movement. These are gorgeous shots. Uh, The drone footage appears in the third part of the film. And these are some amazing, sweeping, gorgeous shots of what was happening Uh, both uh, tragic and beautiful. Uh, There are moments of tragedy. There are also very great moments of beauty in this film. And so what you're going to hear is this first interview uh, with Josh. The second interview will be with James. And the third interview will be with Myron. And they're each 15 minutes uh, to 20 minutes maximum in length. And uh, you'll enjoy. Uh, they each had some very interesting things to say about working on this project. You're in, you're inviting people to uh, to dream, and I think that's a very provocative thing to do. I wanted you to talk about uh, coming to this idea of calling this a dream at Standing Rock.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. It's something very, very important to me. Um, The film, uh, well, let me just go back and just say, going to Standing Rock felt like you were in a strange dream, like you were in a different version of reality. Um, You know, when you have 18,000 people uh, all in a, in a, in a, with tents and, um, you know, All the food is from donations and there's firewood and people are working communally together. And the main purpose there is to preserve peace, justice and the environment and indigenous sovereignty. It's a remarkably focused and uh, beautiful experience. So I found those protest encampments, um, just amazing places. And when you got to the front gate, they, the security at the front gate would look into your car and say, "Do you have any alcohol, drugs, or firearms?" And you said no, and they would say, "Welcome home." And almost every single time, like, would make you want to burst into tears because you really did feel like you're at home on this incredible North Dakota uh, river uh, plain um, or river valley, and you know then. The next thing that would happen is you'd see hundreds of people go praying together with sage, with uh, song, with Native American ceremony, and then all of a sudden there are hundreds upon hundreds of nameless, faceless riot police uh, guarding a pipeline. Um, they have no name tags on, which is why I call them nameless because they were allowed not to wear name tags. They have you can't see most of them because they have blast shields over their faces, and they're pepper spraying and macing, you know, innocent people who are sitting on the side of the road or on the side of the river praying and saying, we don't want to contaminate water. And these uh, water protectors, um, uh, of whom I count myself as one, of course, but like, you know, these frontline kids going up to to the police saying, we love you, we're praying for you. And then they get maced and then they get shot with rubber bullets and then they get uh, arrested and and brutalized. And yet they come back again with a smile on their face with a sense of love. It was Absolutely remarkable. And the the reason why I wanted to make the film was because I met these people and I felt like there there had to be an amplification of their message. Florice Whitebull, co-writer of the movie, an an incredible voice that people need to hear. Malia Holloman, who redefines Thanksgiving when she talks about Thanksgiving as a massacre. On Thanksgiving Day at the Native American Standing Rock burial ground, um, you know, that the police are occupying... Doug Goodfeather, who is our executive producer and also talking about being a two-tour Iraq war veteran and then realizing that that war was for oil and not for terror and not for the things he was taught that he was fighting for and how that changed him so much internally. These incredible stories. Um, But the premise of Awake is really um, when I was looking at the footage and thinking about what was I going to do – I didn't uh, want to make the usual sort of here's Josh Fox walking around talking to people and, you know, um, you know, that kind of film, which is Gasland and Gaslight 2 and How to Let Go of the World are all films that I'm uh, in the driver's seat and narrating and so on. And, and I'm the main subject, I guess, in a way, um, this film, I looked at and I and said What if the last 500 years of quote unquote civilization was really just a bad dream? And we woke up, and it had never happened, and we're in this camp um, where, like, the traditional values of the 20,000 years of Native presence on this on this continent um, were, were the ruling and organizing principles. And that's what it felt like to be at Standing Rock. And I called up Florice Whitebull because the other thing is I said, this isn't really my dream. This is Florice's dream. This is a person from Standing Rock's dream. And I said, well, what about this idea? And would you co-write this with me? And she loved the idea, and we started sending things back and forth. So the idea that you're awake to the fact that this civilization, these values, greed, competition, consumerism, the, the rape of the environment, uh, hoarding materialism, material goods, oil, is a nightmare, in that you wake up from it wanting a different sense of communal unity, a different sense of, uh, of, of values, um, peace, uh, you know, protection of natural resources, water, you know, these are the hallmarks of a new generation of activism. So we're waking up to that.
0: And part of your films that you've done, Gasland, uh, and, and your, your recent climate change documentary, is examining our relationship to the land. Uh, but this is, a, this is a indigenous culture. These are people who have been doing that all of their entire existence in the US. Yeah. So what was that like for you to meet a people where that's just part of their culture?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, Oceti in the camp, itself was representative of so many different people. You had, of course, Standing Rock, um, folks from Standing Rock, and then you had 500 different tribes who were from all over the nation and all over the world who came to express solidarity. Those people have very different traditions. Um, and then you have a lot of you know, fractivists, climate activists, peace and justice activists who were there, um, who dropped in. And it was this remarkable moment of unity and shared purpose. Um, and like I said, generosity of, of, of not only of stuff, because there's tents and blankets and food to be handed out and all that. But generosity of spirit, this great sense that we must come together to defeat our enemies. And When, uh, you know, I listened to a a viral video from Reverend Barber in North Carolina, Moral Monday's uh, leader, um, and he was screaming at the top of his lungs, we need unity, we need to come together, we need to come together. And what's interesting right now is that, you know, the Standing Rock movement really, uh, so much of that thread was picked up out of the... End of the Bernie Sanders campaign, right? So Bernie Sanders had finished. It was July. He was not going to be campaigning up for his own uh, anymore. And there was a lot of energy that wanted to go somewhere. Uh, we were running rallies called Climate Revolution rallies that were incredibly well attended. Uh, people really needed some place to go. And Shailene Woodley, who was a fellow Bernie surrogate, with myself, she said, "I'm going to Standing Rock. There's something going on there. I really need to, to tell the world about it. Will you come to a rally with me? You know, in New York City." And that was back in August, and I said, "Yes, of course, this sounds fascinating." And then all of a sudden, the, the youth council ran from North Dakota to uh, Washington D.C., and that thousand-mile run captured people's imagination, and all of these winds were gathered together. So, you know, I know the question was about the philosophy, but what was what happened was you, re- you saw all these activists who've been spending their entire lives fighting for the environment, fighting for peace and justice, and you realize that the core values were coming from the indigenous community, and that the indigenous community had been there, uh, and that there was nothing new, no one had created anything, that these values were were part of American, or rather, let's say, this continent's real blood and soil and, and, and soul, because, you know, those people have those notions. George Washington visited the longhouses of the Iroquois and the Onondaga Nation in New York State and found what would become New York State um, and discovered, quote-unquote, democracy and took that system of government. It comes from those people. So when you're campaigning for it, you are campaigning for the soul of this uh, continent, and, you know, you pay homage to that, and you realize that that is the primary struggle here of the environmental struggle, the climate change struggle, the indigenous sovereignty struggle, is what informs this whole... Uh, thing because that is the most that is at the top of that of that um you know pyramid of different activist tra- traditions so you know you're realizing all of this stuff and then you have a chance to put it into practice right on that day right in front of k- police that are about to harm you and you stand up in, in defiance uh it is an, in- it was an incredible experience so you know um those folks like Doug Goodfeather like Florice Whitebull, uh like the native voices that emerged from the water protectors there are teachers of our future movement, and we need to look to them to, for guidance. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why this film is out there, to say, you know, we need, you need inspiration, you need some uh, um, gumption, you need to reaffirm your values. Well, look no further to the people who for 500 years have been oppressed by this culture and are showing us a different way that we need to keep that now.
0: And then uh, lastly, I guess I'll, I'll give you a two-part, even though these are sort of different questions. Uh, I mean, they're very different questions, but, uh, what was it like to collaborate with Jim and, and, and Myron and, uh, and then after talking about the chance to do work with them and why you wanted to collaborate with them, uh, what, what it means that this is premiering you're, you're, you're having a premiere on earth day and, uh, there's all this uh, surge of activism.
1: Well, I mean, every day is earth day in my book. Um, you know, and, uh, it's nice that we get one day on the calendar. Uh, we should be getting 364 days, I guess, and maybe we should have one day called rapacious capitalism day, but you know, um, uh, it would be better if it was like that, <laughs> certainly. But, um, you know, first to the question about the directors. So I, I originally, the idea was let's collaborate because, you know, no one person can tell the story of Stanley rock. And, from you know, so the idea was not just the directors, but other collaborators bringing in the room, Doug Goodfeather, Floris Weible, you know those people, um, as well as editors and, and camera people, and you know, when I was there, you met folks, you met people on the front lines. I had known Jim before that, but i had met my, my, met Myron while I was there, um, and you know, the idea was let's uh, let's make sure we have different visions of what. Is happening, And then, of course, you have the added bonus of then you can do this much faster because um, each of us are essentially working on one chapter and we're working simultaneously. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm not even going to try to ask them what they're making. I don't want to tell them what I'm making. I, if this is going to work, it's going to be because some unseen hand arranges this to work and the truth of the matter is that's what happened like the three chapters and then the coda that i made at the end you know they really work together in one flow um mine is the first james's is the second and myron's the third and you know we all none of us disputed what order things should go in everybody looked at it and we're like oh wow this is the way it works and it lines up beautifully and it's one piece even though you could feel they're very different perspectives so um that was the goal and it happened uh because we you know I, I don't want to say we got lucky it happened because i think we're, we were intending our objective we were like intending our focus in the right direction you know um and so my my piece which opens up this idea of the dream which has florice narrating which which is very poetic i think lyrical the second piece which allows you no narrator allows you to live really like fly on the wall in that camp be there breathe with it see it witnessed one of the most horrific episodes of violence when the police came at the water protectors with water cannons at twenty degrees, uh, freezing, instant hypothermia, lots of gunfire with rubber bullets, and then Myron and Dewey's uh, final chapter, which is really about indigenous perspective and how you know seeing Standing Rock through indigenous eyes is different, and that you know that's the real explainer um, towards the end of the film. And I think you know you have um, a, a really nice flow. Uh, there and but like I said, you know, this is one project out of hopefully you know dozens which of films which will come out of Standing Rock, and I encourage people to watch them all. Standing Rock is that important. That fight was that important. We need to really acknowledge that this is one of the crucial things in our history, um, not just because of what happened, but because of how it must inform what we do going forward. Um, so you know, uh, I, like I said, not every, there's no one you know, film or perspective that can tell the story of Standing Rock, but this is a collaboration, um, I think, uh, unearths or, uh, you know, reveals something interesting um, that, you know, that we were trying to achieve. And, of course, you know, it's so ironic with all these people and all this journey and spending all this time at Standing Rock that, that um, you know, we premiere the film on Earth Day in my hometown. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, it's always changed to do a pre- premiere at Tribeca. Tribeca is in line with Earth Day, usually Earth Day happens, Gasland 2, uh, premiered at Tribeca, and it was like the day before Earth Day or two birthday. Earth Day. So, you know, it's, it's uh, somewhat of a tradition. But, um, you know, we are trying to find, uh, you know, this unique moment to um, really hammer the point home and say, you know, when we, we talk about Earth Day, celebrate Earth Day by watching this movie. Celebrate Earth Day for the next two weeks by watching this movie. And the way we've set it up is you can watch the movie online everywhere, simultaneous with its release tomorrow at Tribeca. So Tribeca, we have one screening tomorrow night, we have four more at Tribeca. They're all sold out and they're all free. And we have online the movie if you Donate Anything More Than a Dollar so a dollar all the way up to i think it's like 200 bucks if you donate more than a dollar you get the movie streaming for free for three days oh. or um, for a dollar whatever and that donation we're, we're putting it out through our nonprofit, that donation goes to the indigenous media fund that uh, the filmmakers are creating so that we can have more indigenous voices in the media and it goes to a pipeline fighters fund where we're uh Supporting the future pipeline battles um, We're also, uh, through our Engagement efforts, raising money for The Freshet It Collective um, Very, very important, the Freshet Collective That is helping water protectors With their legal cases, because there's a lot of Really crazy Charges being leveled at innocent People where you have People who are sitting in prayer, and they get charged With a felony for rioting and criminal Trespass, criminal trespass on their Own land, on their own treaty Granted land, you know, and uh, Fresh It has already spent almost a million dollars on and the trials, haven't even begun yet there's 700 people on, on trial in North Dakota this is very, very important, so go to Fresh it Collective and donate there um, or download our House Party Guide, which gives you instructions about how to do that and also the Lakota Way Healing Center, which is Doug Goodfeathers' um, uh, healing center in Denver, uh, which combines Native American ceremony with traditional, I guess, psychological psycho- psychological practice. We have a lot of water protectors right now who have PTSD, who have psychological trauma. Uh, I think everybody on the uh, working on this film has it. You know, it's 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 a very very deeply emotional crisis. And so when you spent time there and you were brutalized and things happened to you, there is a toll that that takes on you. And we need that healing. And one of the ways that we're doing it is to support that Lakota Way Healing Center. So go to LakotaWay.org and find out more about that and how you can contribute there as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. So thanks for joining us, and I think a good place to start is to hear your story about how this project started. Uh, What made you decide that you wanted to go to Standing Rock to do a film about what was happening? Uh,
2: First of all, thanks for uh, having me on and and, uh, my co-creators on the program. I I really appreciate your attention to uh, this issue and this film. Uh, Kevin, really, thank you. Um, you know, it's it's funny with Standing Rock. I mean, I, I'd like to tell you that, you know, I had a, a big plan and I did all this research and I was ready to go make a certain film, but really, that's not the way it happened. Um, I think for a lot of people, both water protectors and also independent media, there was something about what was going on there that just was very compelling and sort of drawing you like a magnet. I felt like I just had to be there. And I, you know, I was watching what was unfolding there for quite a while, uh, over the summer and into the fall last year, feeling like, wow, this is really getting intense. This is really important what's happening there. And, um, really was just waiting for a time when I, my schedule would open up uh, you know i'm a dad uh i've got other projects going on and so you know finally in um in november of last year i was able to um you know put it all together and got myself out there with a camera with no other plan than show up with a camera and ooh, let's see what's going on and 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 i just wanted to be part of, of i just wanted that. to <laughs> What was that? Did I say something wrong? Did I run out of time? No, that was uh my take. Go ahead um uh so I I I'll back up cuz you probably want to edit yeah. that. Yeah. Um I I just felt like I wanted to be part of bringing this this story to the world. Um you know, as you know, it really wasn't being covered very much in any mainstream media whatsoever. Um, everything was really being driven by by social media, by online activists and bloggers and so forth. Um, you know, I'm not that. I'm an independent uh, filmmaker, so I'm sort of in between those, those two places. Um, but, you know, a call went out. Um, numerous times from from tribal elders who got online, who sometimes got on mainstream media and said, "Look, we need you out here, you know, uh, not just water protectors, but independent journalists, writers, bloggers, artists, photographers, filmmakers. You know, please come, uh, sh- look at, you know, witness what's going on here, bring it to the world." So, um, you know, I felt, you know, compelled by that call to be. Um, to be a part of it, and so um that 's how I ended up there and um and then you know, but certainly had no plans for a collaborative project of this nature at that point. um I knew uh Josh Fox uh, and I have been friends for a number of years um I knew he was out there, but we were sort of always there at different times um we were kind of messaging back and forth and um and then. Uh, you know, one day he just sent me this message like, hey, we should work on something together. And uh, I was like, "Okay." And then we sort of didn't talk about it for a while. uh, But it kind of evolved from there. And finally, I think it was in mid-December where we we got on the phone with a number of people. um, And, you know, this this kind of idea was born of having a a collaboration between Indigenous and non-Indigenous filmmakers, um both in the on the directing side and on the producing side, and that we would you know be able to bring something um to the world um, that kind of reflected that spirit of standing rock in a way because um standing rock was all about community and collaboration and and sharing and and sort of a non hierarchical system so the way this film was made kind of reflected that and um and that 's how it you know that 's how Um, that's how it happened.
0: So what was it like, uh, to collaborate, uh, with Josh specifically? And then also, what was it like to be able to work with Myron who, um, you know, his, his segment is, is a, is a very strong, uh, part of the film.
2: You know, the beautiful thing about it, uh, is that we all came at this project from, Our own unique uh, perspectives and one of the things uh, Josh was um, very um, adamant about as lead producer on the project was that each of us would be able to have authority and creative control over our own section which is somewhat unusual Um, so you have these three very distinct um, movies within the overall movie and each one has its own sort of strong um, perspective its, it's its own style um, you know, I, I know for Josh in his section, for instance, really departed from things he's done previously. When, when I first saw, you know, a cut of, of Josh's uh, part, part one of the film, I was just blown away because I just thought it was so beautifully poetic and and um, and, um, you know. The, the voice of, of Florice uh, telling her story, uh, how interior it was. Um, you know, Josh isn't in his part of the film, which is something he usually does. Um, so he really made a departure, uh, and I and I did the same in 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 my uh, piece. In, in other words, the same departing from my usual style over the last few years. Um, I've I've generally done very you know interview based projects, uh, even a film like Silenced, which had uh, a lot of reenactments and so forth, was still basically people telling their story. And with this film, I decided I would really depart from that radically and do something which was really an old-fashioned, observational, cinema verite documentary.
0: I noticed uh, that. Yeah. It's it's a lot like... um, Yeah, it's just on... We'll go ahead, but I was just going to say it reminds me of like watching Maisel's or Wiseman documentaries.
2: Yeah, well, well, thank you very much for even bringing them up in the same sentence with me. But yes, absolutely. I I was I I had actually done a couple interviews there. But when I started to put this together, I thought, you know, I think. I think the way to go is to just let the the magic and the drama of what was unfolding there happen uh in front of this camera and let people sort of be there and immerse themselves for the 25 minutes of my section of the movie just immerse themselves in standing rock uh the inspirational spirit of it um the real scary uh moments and you know that that night of November 20th uh, on the bridge uh, that huge um altercation with the with the police bringing out the the, the f- fire hoses and and the tear gas and the mace and everything else um that that was just in- incredibly scary for to to be there um, immersed in that so I just thought you know i think I think this is the way to go with this to to make something that's really um that just really lets it all unfold and and lets the audience in that way and it and it turned out to be a good decision in terms of the overall Film, because you know again josh 's approach was very interior interior sort of monologue um with Florice. uh myron 's is very personal with him you know being the conduit for what 's happening there, his own experiences being being compelled as a as an indigenous person to try and tell this story from that perspective, so like I said, each of us brought this very particular point of view and style and so when you say you know Getting back to your original question, what was it like to work with them? In a way, you know, we sort of each did our own thing. And um, <laughs> it was funny. I didn't even meet Meyer until really toward the end of the process. And uh, I, I ran into him in the Prairie Nights Casino, which is where a lot of people were staying and where, you know, a lot of people convened, you know, sometimes for, for dinner or at different hours because it's close to where all the camps were. And uh, I ran into him and I went up to him. And I said, Myron, uh, Jim Spione, we're, you know, we're making this movie together. And he was like, we are. <laughs> Who are you? Because we hadn't met. So it just didn't, you know, and Myron gets like hundreds of emails a day and all these people. He's like a celebrity, you know. He's So it was just a very funny moment. And he was like, oh, yes, of course, you know. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we had this overall um, concept, uh, and, and Josh sort of led the way in terms of, um, putting it out there and, and, and getting it, uh, together under one umbrella. But there was also a lot of individual creative freedom. And I think that was kind of a beautiful thing about the film, kind of a unique thing about the film. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be uh, a part of it.
0: Uh, eh. I, know, I noticed while watching that something, uh, surfaces in your segment, which people can see, in your earlier work, uh, *Silenced*, uh, which is, uh, you're very interested in what the media is doing around Standing Rock when they are there. You know, sometimes they, or often they weren't there, but but when they are there, uh, you're taking these shots showing how they're taking in the encampment. And you also have uh, the clip of uh, something people can look forward to when they see the movie. You have the clip of the woman from CNN who showed up there for the live stream. Uh, So I wanted you to just talk about um, why you bring these figures into your scenes. Yes, that's a that's
2: a great question. I mean, you know, first of all, um, it was what was happening there. So it was it was just unfolding in front of my camera. There were there was media there. Um, Mainly, it was, you know, independent uh, media from Around the country and around the world, really, and then toward you know all of a sudden in December, CNN and MSNBC and all these people descended, uh, really because that was you know the weekend the veterans came, and that actually turned out to be the weekend that the big announcement was made. Uh, at least temporarily, it turned out um, that the Army Corps was denying the permit. It also ironically provides some sort of lightweight, almost comedic counterpoint to what's what's going on Um, you know there's a sequence uh, that I like where you see uh, LaDonna Brave Bull Allard who founded the Sacred Stone camp the first camp uh, doing a series of interviews and kind of like you know having to have her own sound bites and and people making her stop because the lighting wasn't right and just this kind of like absurdity of you know here she is you know having started this amazing at this point worldwide movement in a way And yet, you know, she's just walking down the road having to, like, you know, tell people the things they want to hear. And it's just sort of a um, kind of a funny juxtaposition um, within the film. So, uh, you know, it kind of functions that way in this movie, which I think is a little bit different than uh, in a film like Silence, where it's purely like the mainstream media is missing the story and in fact is, you know, trying to, um, you know, convict, uh, you know, whistleblowers before – uh, they've even had their their you know day in court or whatever. It's 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 a very um, it's a very skewed picture in, in that film. So there are similarities and there are differences. I guess is what I would say.
0: You you've got these reporters that were there who presented their own uh, uninformed views about. Actually, I think they're more like ignorant views about uh, the indigenous people because it was winter and most of them were baffled that people could le- could live on this land in the freezing cold as if they forget that these people have been living on land for hundreds upon hundreds of years and know how to do that uh but i think right. that well, but i think that brings yeah, that, up an interesting question for you and i i think this is how i would like to end it uh is The relationship to the land. I think that one of the things that this uh, documentary explores, but also just within it, the characters, the people who you're profiling, they're very uh, big about what our relationship to the land is. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are now about your relationship to the land or our relationship to the land having been able to make this movie.
2: Well, I mean, that's so central Um, to everything that's going on here. I mean, look, I I was drawn to this subject for a lot of reasons. And there are a lot of intersecting sort of reasons. Um, I mean, in the first place you have, um, as you're sort of alluding to here, you have uh, Native tribes who've been struggling for their rights for, you know, literally hundreds of years. Um, for autonomy, for sovereignty over their lands, for control over their resources um, for protection of their sacred sites I mean that was that's foremost um, but then you had this idea of and, and which you know the the people at Standing Rock were brilliant at doing this saying you know we're not just protecting our water this is this is everyone's water this is about water itself you know water is life is such a brilliant sort of, distillation in a way of, of the idea here. So, you know, as it's stated many times, you know, millions and millions of people uh, downstream from them would also be affected if or maybe more likely when a pipeline like this uh, leaks or ruptures or is damaged. Um, so there's that. Um, then the bigger still, you know, there's there's the, the idea of climate and energy and why are we building not only a a, a pipeline that could threaten you know immediately our water supply but why are we investing in fossil fuel infrastructure that you know when 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 listen when businesses build four billion dollar projects they're they're leveraging that out over the next several decades these are projects that are going for you know 30 40 50 years into the future like this is kind of madness when we look at what scientists are telling us about climate change. You know, I mean, all the climate change models have turned out to be too conservative. Everything's happening much faster. And yet you have a system that's still basically operating on let's maximize extraction of fossil fuels. For the next 50, 70 years. I mean, it's it's suicide. So you've got that issue um, as well. And and yes, of course, you know, back to your original question, the relationship, our relationship to the land. And when I say our, I mean, the dominant, you know, colonial imperial culture is just all wrong. Uh, it's, it looks at the land as a source of income, as something that's to be monetized, extracted, exploited. And, um, you know, the Native cultures have never had that relationship to the land. And this is a point in history where they're trying to tell us something and we damn well better listen. Um, and because our lives all depend on it. We, we need a major course change here. Uh, we need to start thinking of this earth as our home and as something that sustains us, um, you know, it, so this is a huge issue because really um, you're talking about a clash of cultures and civilizations even. You know, we've got this huge civilization based on the, the capitalist model, uh, you know, extraction of stuff for profits to a small few at the top at the expense of everyone below, and so, you know, I think, you know, ultimately, you've you've got a, a, a protest that's not just about water and land, but um, it's about what kind of system do we live under, and and do we have a democracy? Uh, so, so, so many potent issues here. You know, I would say not even just you know the environmental one, which is, uh, and the relationship to the land, which which is what you were talking about, but you know, it's all. It's all connected, and I think the word you know, the word "intersectional" comes to mind, and that's kind of a buzzword now. But all these things are intersecting there. You know, the one thing I haven't mentioned, and it really really ties back to my previous films, is this whole idea of government authority and um, the militarization of of a government that sees itself as at war all the time, and um, and and so you know, you have this increasing normalization that's so disturbing uh of police forces coming to responding to peaceful protests with equipment that belongs in a war zone, uh, with with mine resistant vehicles uh, with with you know all of this hardware literally from Iraq and Afghanistan because you know, as you know, um, there was a program instituted during the bush years it's still going on where, you know, excess or extra uh, older equipment or or, um, surplus equipment gets sold back on the cheap to domestic police forces. And so you've got small cities and towns all over America now that have this equipment and by golly, they're going to use it. So, um, you know, that too, I saw happening here and obviously was, was a big, um, a big sort of alarm bell uh, going off for me. And once again, It connects to everything else. It connects to that capitalist system that I'm talking about. And at the end of the day, what is this system being run for? Is it a democracy being run for the benefit and the the health and welfare of the people? Or is it mainly a system that push comes to shove? We're going to protect our profit streams, and we're going to do that with military force if need be. And, you know, to carry that connection out further, this is exactly what it is to occupy another country that has, um, you know, fossil fuel rich resources. So, um, you know, all of these things kind of came into focus, I think, for me and for a lot of people on that lonely stretch of road in North Dakota, it was all happening right there. This was a lens into, you know, our our world right now. Uh, and it's like this crisis point, this, 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 you know, turning point where we've got to change course. And, um, you know, and so very much, you know, to to use the whistleblower analogy, I think the the Standing Rock tribe were kind of the whistleblowers for the world here. They're saying, you know, wait a minute. Um, If we continue on this course, um, we're going to threaten our very survival. You know, we have to get back to a different relationship with the land. A, a, the government needs to have a different relationship with its people. Our monetary systems can't can't continue this way uh, to be on this kind of extractive profit-making autopilot while the world is burning down. So um, you know, a lot going on there, and um, and so I'm I'm just happy that you know I'm privileged and honored really to be a part of of bringing this story to the world, of, of helping to, um, you know, be part of the, the conduit in a way to give these Native cultures and people uh, a voice, um, and, and just to, you know, in my section in particular, just to sort of, to let people know, like, what happened there and how important it was and how it unfolded and to just sort of immerse them in that, that culture. Um, that to me is, was, I think my contribution to this film and hopefully, um, to the spirit of this movement.
0: Uh, So what did it mean for you to be able to be a part of awake to participate in the project?
3: Well, you know, it's 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 about getting the voice of the water protectors out there. It means a lot that I was able to share my experience there at Standing Rock and attention and world attention, indigenous issues that are happening and been happening. It means a lot.
0: And uh, what's really powerful about your appearance in the film is you're seeing you actively on the front lines uh, and filter it through your perspective, you know, so much of what we saw, if we ever saw any images from Standing Rock, maybe came through CNN or we, we saw news reports, uh, but, uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, you were providing a, a service maybe at a time that was very difficult and you didn't really want to have to do it.
3: Um. No, I, I needed to do it. I had to do it. I wanted to do it. Because if I didn't do it, our this was about a civil rights movement. And it's an inherent rights movement. This was an indigenous issue that was going on. Indigenous, I so pushed the envelope there. I pushed the envelope in this work. And we, the media, you know, our existence, my voice, is our resistance in colonization and genocide this trauma which is now current trauma
0: what can you say about being there at the camp and seeing the tremendous outpouring of support uh, and you know you were covering this on a daily basis uh, probably to be able to see it grow was very heartening
3: yeah it was it was beautiful to see the synchronicity. And hearing the stories of people, why they came, or what got them there, the interviews I've done countless interviews there people, and uh, just curious when I see them. I ran into the very first um the very first people I ran into were some bikers riding to Seattle. out, and they were somewhere in and we just happened to be talking about what when and they asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to Standing Rock. And they go, What's, where's that at? About the fight and what we've been going through as Indigenous people. And our people had been a call-out for help, support. And my support is through, through film through Indigenous eyes. And how important it was for me to be there because it's for us and not by us. That's how they, that would be yellow but history is going to repeat itself get there and tell our story and I think it was about a a week later I was just going back up to Media Hill and I see a small tent with two bikes there and what my eye was I recognized the guy him and his girlfriend had made a detour and came back towards North Dakota and, got a, and they hitchhiked, got a ride in their bikes, and ended up at Standing Rock. And those stories, and to witness those stories, and people change their minds on what you say, to trust you enough to believe you to go there to support or just participate, is powerful. Stories like that were countless from people quitting their jobs to support the people, um, selling their homes, and to go in their port. You know, even as far as college students, which I wasn't a fan of, you know, what we shared with them is you're going to get more education here on the history of this country than you will in here. Your-
0: Part of your segment is spent uh, going after or trying to challenge the way the police are treating your people. Can you describe why it was so crucial for you to, you know, follow up and really bring that interaction uh to you know viewers to audiences
3: well you know when it comes to our people it it was our people it was not just indigenous people it was it was really educating um our non-native allies they were also indigenous from somewhere and Bringing that to light was very important. I wanted people to feel proud of where they were from and why we were fighting for what we were fighting for, why we were protecting it, defending it, educating. Was the most important tool there was to educate people that you are indigenous from somewhere, not New York, not California, not New Jersey, not some small town in Kansas, Iowa. You are indigenous from somewhere. And because this this pipeline has forgot its original instructions, its owners, its shareholders had forgotten that they are indigenous from somewhere, that it was easy for them to desecrate someone else's burial sites, contaminate their water, and and cause this trauma, which is current trauma, that our, our indigenous people are experiencing. So what it became was not just a indigenous issue as towards the middle of this movement. It became a human issue and wanted everyone to feel that you are a part of this. You drink water. You have sacred sites, your own sites. But you also have your own culture. And when you forget those original instructions, you become lost. I heard so many people say, I'm mutt, I don't know where I'm from. And they move from one town to the other to feel calm, comfortable or, and, you know, to, uh, being in a different surroundings, where well, we don't, as Indigenous people, we're 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 holding we're holding strong in our in our traditional homelands. And even though the areas are toxic, we're still protecting it. And we're still trying to restore it. So There's a lot of doing what I call Indian 101.
0: And then the whole frame of the movie is really this invitation uh, to be awake and to dream. And to say that not only should indigenous people be awake to these issues, but also that there's an obligation to uh, have everyone wake up to what's going on um, on the earth. What does it mean to you that this is all based around this idea of dreaming?
3: The first part is uh, what, I, what I'm sharing the different. and I think we all have a different view. On it, Mine was to document history through Indigenous eyes and be as accurate as I possibly could as a visual legal narrative down the road. Because I knew that there is going to be no dreaming about this. You, you have to be fully awake and aware. And for me, it was to make sure that I told the story as accurate as possible as a visual legal narrative. Because I, I already know our Indigenous people we, we've been through with with uh, officials and police and the government is an inaccurate stories. And um, I wasn't going to let that happen.
0: Uh, then finally, what, what would you like to see happen with this project? I mean, keeping in mind that uh, president Donald Trump has breathed new life into this, uh, the black snake and that it's uh, still going to persist as an issue, but there's many, of these pipelines throughout the United States. So, what do you want this film to do?
3: What we've seen and why we're here in this, in this, in today's movement is because since Lewis and Clark, this country has not honored its forefathers' promises to the indigenous people. And because of that, the generations after them don't know what those promises are. What I like to see is that. The viewers become self-aware that there, there was promises made and because of that, because of those promises with the loss of language, loss of land, loss of dignity, cultural genocide, nutritional genocide, those things were allowed to happen. And the desecration of sacred sites, the desecration of traditional harvesting areas, why we are continuing to protect certain places or ceremonial reasons, and why we don't want to share what those places are because of what we witnessed on September 3rd with the Dakota Hacker Pipeline desecrating sacred sites, when they found out where they were and no accountability was held towards them. I would love for people to be empowered to walk away and be educated and teach their children of the first people here that are still here, providing and protecting the water protecting the sacred sites. Seventy percent of the natural resources are on reservations, tribal land, Indian lands. And throughout the world, it's the same way. And with that, being that we're almost extinct in the United States, we protect the majority of those natural resources with our lives.
0: Thank you, Myron, for giving me your time. Uh, And uh, wish you the best, and I hope the premiere goes well.
3: Awesome. Thank you for calling and uh, sharing our story. Appreciate it.
0: I am extremely grateful that Josh, James, and Myron were able to give me their time and share what it was like to put together this project and why they think it is critical for this film to be out there. And uh, so you're probably wondering, how can you see the film? When and where will you be able to see the film? The film is available at awakethefilm.org. It was posted on Earth Day on April 22nd, and it's available... You can go to the website and stream it. They encourage everyone who goes there to donate $5 in order to watch the film. And it's well worth the $5 donation. If you can't donate $5, you can donate just $1. Everyone who donates at least a dollar can watch the film. But here is where your money is going and how you'll be able to make a difference. As Josh said in his interview, the proceeds are going to an Indigenous Media Fund. They are also going to the Pipeline Fighters Fund. So this Indigenous Media Fund and the Pipeline Fighters Fund will benefit if you go and donate. You can give $5. You can give more than $5. And the money will go towards these funds, which are supervised by the film's creators and a council of indigenous leaders who support direct actions, who support indigenous films about what uh, is going on with these struggles around pipelines and and other extractive industries And exploitive operations that are happening in the United States, uh, as well as to support journalists who are involved in bringing attention to these stories, bringing attention to these issues. So again, if you go to awakethefilm.org, A-W-A-K-E-The-F-I-L-M.org, you can watch the film. It's it's an 85-minute film. It's very well worth your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Unfortunately, Rania Kellogg was not able to join us for this special episode. I can tell you why she is in the Middle East. Uh, So with that cliffhanger, uh, you'll learn more about what she is up to next week. Until then thank you again to all of our patrons who are monthly supporters of our show we could not do this without you you have our gratitude every single week and we'll be back with another episode of the Unauthorized disclosure podcast next weekend